You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Last week, Pastor Shino, who really has that evangelistic uh, spirit, has um, uh, told us that one of the keys to evangelism, not just prayer, but also that evangelism uh, requires uh, power. And uh, I want to pick up on this, uh, this point. It is Pentecost Sunday. That's the Sunday where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early Christians. And really, the church was birthed in that power and advanced uh, greatly uh, after that time. I was thinking uh, about this subject of power and how do you bring something from death to life. And uh, sitting beside me uh, right here... Um, is a battery charger. Uh, we have an old car that sits in our driveway most of the time. We don't use it a lot. Uh, and after the cold winter and the snowy, I went to use it. And of course, uh, when we went to start it up, uh, it did not work uh, at all. And I realized it was because the battery uh, was dead. And so uh, here's how one of these battery uh, chargers work. You take um, this end of it, and you plug it into the house power, okay? Got it? And then you take these leads, one's red, the positive, and one's black, the negative, and then you plug it onto the battery, and it recharges it, or you can hit a certain bun a button, and it'll actually give it a jump start. It'll give it a real blast. And so um, one of the words uh, in Scripture that when we talk about the Holy Spirit is to be edified by the power of the spirit. And so uh, what, and, and the word edify actually means to charge up or to build up. And so uh, what I, my battery needed, I was uh, edifying my battery. And so the next time uh, your battery goes out, you can use one of these, or you can just lay hands on your battery and you can go ahead and edify your battery or charge it up that way. Wouldn't it be nice if we could do that? We're talking about not only what happened on the day of Pentecost, but we're talking today about the subject of being, what does it really mean to be baptized and to be filled uh, with the Holy Spirit? So let me just share a little bit of my own story. First of all, uh, I grew up in a Christian home, was uh, away from God for a season, not really following the Lord. And then when I went to university, I ended up staying in a Christian dorm and around Christians. And one of the Christians was my dear friend, Greg Mitchell, who's the pastor of Every Nation Church in Vancouver. And under the influence of those Christians, I realized that I'd been straying from God and it was really time for me to come back to God. And so that first year of university was really a pivotal year for me where I began to come back and I realized that I needed uh, Christ in my life. I needed to be uh, have God in my life. I needed to follow Jesus. I was a part of even a campus group there, and I even uh, went out a few times and did personal witnessing where we took this track called The Four Spiritual Laws, and we would just go up to random people at the student union or out on campus, and we would um, go ahead and share the gospel, and I had that experience. The following year, though, a new group came onto campus, and uh, there was this church planting team that came out from Ontario, and yes, Sheila Thompson, then McLaughlin, was on uh, that church planting team. And they were boldly proclaiming the gospel out on campus. And one of the co-founders of our movement, Rice Brooks, was leading the team. And he was preaching every single night. And I went out to some of those meetings. Then he came back to our campus again. 
And at that time, I, I asked him about, you know, you guys are talking about baptism and all these other things. I don't know much about that. And he said, let me talk to you. He came to my dorm room. And then he challenged me not only to what I've already done was re really receive Christ, but to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, to be baptized in water and have hands laid on me so that I would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues and to have the power of God. I was so nervous after he left my dorm room and he said, if you want this, come to tonight's meeting because we'll be doing that right after the meeting at the pastor's house. I was so anxious, uh, wondering, you know, just praying, but, you know, God, do I do this? Do I not do this? Finally, I just said, okay, I'm going to go for it, but Lord, this better work. After the meeting, sure enough, I was baptized in water, came up out of the water. They lay hands on me. Uh, at first, I didn't really know what to do. I thought the Holy Spirit was going to just sort of supernaturally take over control, but I realized that I had to be part of the process and, and begin to speak out, and I was speaking out in tongues. When I got up the next day, something had changed. Two things really that I really stood out. One is this incredible desire for God and this newfound confidence that I'd found. See, I was a pretty shy kid. Uh, I was introvert. I didn't have a lot of ambition in my life. After that, I started telling everybody in our dorm, you need to not only know Jesus, but you need to know the Holy Spirit, and you need to be filled with this power. And I had the pastor come over from our little campus church and go all around our dorm and, and share with my friends. The other thing that happened was the Lord really revealed to me, like in a flash, really, a desire for my calling. Being a pastor, being a disciple maker, being a church planter, or any of that would be last on my list. If you saw a list of possible career choices for Bert Thompson, further than last would be pastor. But for some reason, when the Holy Spirit took out of my life, it was a revelation of this is what I'm called to you. And I actually wanted to do it. That was the most amazing thing. There was a desire. I really wanted to follow this call upon my life. And so that's my story. Before we get into the scripture, I thought I'd just go ahead and share a bit of uh, my story. So what we're talking about today, the subject of this uh, sermon is Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit baptism. Now, uh, one of the problems uh, when we talk about the subject of revival, the power of God, is many times it's it's been cast in kind of a uh, an unfavorable light. It's almost like, you know, these are some wild meetings that you never know what's going to happen. But I want to cast the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, I believe that the way Jesus did, and it's in the context of the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus said when he was to his early disciples, when he was talking about them using this power, he connected it to the kingdom of God. He said this, as you go, Proclaim this message. The kingdom of God has come near. And then he said this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Interesting that the second thing he said about, you know, extending the kingdom is after healing the sick is go ahead and raise the dead. You think, what? That's like radical. Well, do you realize that his early disciples actually picked that up? Um, I'll read a passage. It's not all in, all in the, um, on the screen, but just 
Bear with me. And this is a story of the early Christians and Peter actually raising the dead. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she had become ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper upper room. Uh, Soon Lydia, since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men and urged him, please come in without delay. So Peter rose, went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing the tunics and the other garments that Dorcas made sure he was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Okay, now this will be on the screen, because I want to I highlight this. And he gave his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons that the early church grew so rapidly was because of the demonstration of the kingdom of God, the signs, wonders, and and healings that accompanied the preached word. You know, many times when we talk about the Great Commission, we turn to Matthew 28, but the Great Commission is also cast in the the other gospels. And here's how the gospel of Mark casts uh, the Great Commission. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever is believed and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Wow. That's powerful and another way that the Great Commission has been pronounced by Jesus. As a church, we're called to announce and demonstrate the rule and reign of God through Christ. I love this this, um, statement by theologian David Bosch. Here's what he said about the mission of the church. Mission takes place when the church, in its total involvement with the world, bears its testimony in the form of a servant with reference to unbelief, exploitation, discrimination, and violence, but also with reference to salvation, healing, liberation, reconciliation, and righteousness. You know, we've been hitting topics like cancel culture and racism and and, and trying to uh, do good works and feed the poor and help those who come in, maybe refugees, through our partnership with Adam's House. But today I also want to emphasize what David Bosch said here is in salvation and healing. These are also parts of the demonstration of the full gospel and the full advancement and demonstration of the kingdom of God. In fact, um, when Jesus defended his ministry, when even John the Baptist was wondering, are you the Messiah or not? Look at what, uh, how Jesus 
sent the word back to John about whether he was the real deal or not. In Matthew 11, it says, when John, that's John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to them, are you the one who is to come, i.e. the the long-awaited Messiah, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So I have three theses uh, for you today uh, in this uh, Pentecost Day message. Thesis number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience promised by Jesus, available for all believers, whereby we are empowered for supernatural witness in order to advance the kingdom of God. Thesis number two. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience subsequent to and addition to be born again and is often or normally initially evidenced by speaking in tongues. And number three, we must receive ongoing experiences of being refilled with the Holy Spirit. Being born again, salvation, it's about new birth. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is about new power. So let's look into scripture and see how this works. Before Jesus actually went to the cross, it was impossible for us to be born again by the Spirit because atonement had not been made. Look at what Jesus said in John 7. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. And then in the Garden Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, now is the time. Glorify yourself, as he was talking about his uh, sacrificial death. But what's interesting is that after Jesus did rise from the dead, look at what he did. And this is a scripture that I think we often overlook, is how Jesus ministered to his disciples after his resurrection but before his ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's this appearance listed in John 20. And here's what happened. On the first day, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so. Am I sending you? And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. For those of you who know know your Bible, back in Genesis, after God made Adam and Eve, it said he breathed into them the breath of life. And then he also told them, he said, the day that they sin, they will die. But they didn't die immediately. But what died? What died is they became spiritually dead. And after the resurrection, this same God, this same Jesus was able to re-breathe into his disciples and say, receive the Holy Spirit. But what's amazing is that even after that experience, here's what Jesus said. And this is another uh, recount of the Great Commission, this time in Luke's gospel. And he said to him, them, 
Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he had this experience after the resurrection where he breathed on his disciples and breathed the Holy Spirit uh, on them. But then he said, wait, there's more. There's something else. So here's my question. If Jesus already breathed the Holy Spirit into them, why did they need to wait for more? If Jesus had already breathed the Holy Spirit into them, why did they need to wait for more? And here's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And we read this a couple weeks ago when we were uh, in this part of uh, the book of Acts. But let's look at it one more time. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire rested upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, after Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit in John 20, between that time and and Jesus telling them to pray and wait for more. There was no miracles. There was no one getting saved. There was no power of God. But after this experience, after they were both saved and filled, the believers went out and preached everywhere. They demonstrated the kingdom of God through many healings, deliverances, and other signs and wonders. In Bible interpretation, there's something called the principle of first mention, And it really just means that whenever we see something in the Bible, it's always good to look at the first mention of it because we can build the doctrine or the belief on it starting from the first one. And this is the first time that the evidence of being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues had ever uh, come in. And so it's it's an important thing to understand that this is the first time it was mentioned. The reason why it's important is because we have to ask ourselves, is it a one-time event or is it some sort of pattern. And I think as we look at the scriptures in just a minute, we're going to have our answer. So the question is, is this a one-time event or is this something ongoing that the early church had to receive and something we should also receive? So here's what happened. Um, Samaria had received the word of God. This is, and we're going to look at a scripture in just a minute from Acts 8. And even though that they had received the word of God, even though that they were Christians, they had been born again, it said that they had to wait and they had to call, they wanted to call for Peter and John to come down because they hadn't been baptized or received the Holy Spirit yet. So here's what it says in Acts 8, 14 through 16. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you don't baptize unsaved, unborn again people, okay? You have to be saved before you get baptized. You have to be born again. So they had obviously had that experience. They were free to be baptized, but there was something more. There was still something more of the spirit that they uh, needed to have. 
And so here's what it says going on. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands to the, of the apostles, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone whom I laid my hands on might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now, we don't know if they had an identical Acts chapter 2 experience uh, with uh, people thinking they were drunk and speaking in tongues. We don't know, but it was something. Personally, I believe what Simon saw was probably just the same thing that happened at Acts 2. They started being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And something happened because you wouldn't offer money to say, hey, I want to be able to do that um, if it was just nothing. Okay? Um, Last week, uh, Pastor Shino made mention of this uh, experience, and it's Acts chapter 10. I'll just go fly through this one. Uh, it's a, just another experience of people being filled with the Spirit. Uh, so here it is, Acts 10. This is uh, Peter uh, ministering at Cornelius' house, and if the whole story was uh, read out last week, but here's a piece of it. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who had heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles. Why? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized in water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Well, how did they receive the Spirit? Well, we read it in Acts chapter 2. They received the Spirit just as we have. And so we see, we're starting to build a case now for is this a one and done experience that only for Acts chapter 2? Or are we starting to see a biblical pattern emerge? One more time. One, one more instance, and this is in Acts 19, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory, so we'll just jump right into the scripture. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Some translations say, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said, well, John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized a baptism of repentance, telling the people to come and believe in the one who is after them. So they found some of the disciples. They said, he said they were disciples. They seemed to be following Jesus, but their knowledge, their understanding was limited. They hadn't yet even been baptized in the name of Jesus. So that was the first thing that uh, they wanted to check in on. Okay, so, okay, well, you're baptized. Let's get you baptized in the name of Jesus. That is the initiating uh, sacrament. And so they did that. And then what did they do? Let's continue. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And what happened? And they began speaking in tongues. And this time it said, and prophesying. And it said there were about 12 men in all. One more example, um, it's actually the Apostle Paul's conversion himself in Acts 19. Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus. You might have heard that, you know, God knocked him off his high horse. Well, actually, in Scripture, it never even says that he was on a horse. He could have just been walking. But nonetheless, Jesus encountered Paul on the road to Damascus, and he had a revelation of Jesus. Um, that's where he was really saved. He encountered Jesus. 
But even after that, the Lord told this servant, this early church, just a regular member of the, of the early church, Ananias, said, you need to go over because this guy, Saul, who's been mean to the church, has been saved. He's, he's encountered Jesus. And you need to go over because I didn't only save him. I struck him with blindness. And you need to go pray for him, get his sight back, and get him filled with the Spirit. Look at what it says in Acts 19, 9-17. It says, so when Ananias departed, he entered the house and laying on his hands on him, that's, he said, brother Saul, the Lord... Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. doesn't say he spoke in tongues, but in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul did say, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. So whether he got it then, I think he did, but the scripture is silent on that. All we know is eventually he got it. So, you might say, wow, there's quite a bit of this tongues thing in the Bible, and I'm not, you might not be familiar with it. See, I grew up in a church, and I never even knew it was in the Bible. Um, you know, it was, a, it was not a charismatic or Pentecostal-type ch- church that I grew up in, and so those verses weren't highlighted, uh, unfortunately. I didn't even know. I, when I first heard about this, I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I thought when people were saying, this is in the Bible? And so, yeah, it's in the Bible. But so let's just answer this question. Why speaking in tongues? Because I, I think it's more than just kind of a sign that, yeah, you know, you were zapped by God, you were filled, you were baptized. First of all, it does serve as an initial manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And we see this through many uh, passages in Acts. But secondly, it's a mighty form of prayer that builds you up. A mighty form of prayer. Look at what um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so we see this wonderful thing about we get to speak to God. We're actually speaking to God in a mysterious in a spiritual dimension. Now, in the Western world, we like to keep things rational, don't we? We like to keep things, you know, we don't want spiritual experiences. We don't want outside of something that I can feel, taste. But God's made us a spiritual being. He's made us a spiritual being. And so why wouldn't God want us to be able to connect to him in a spiritual, supernatural way? Here's another thing that uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing with my spirit. I'll sing with my mind also. So here he said that when we pray in a tongue, we're praying. Our spirit is praying. And don't we need our spirit to be built up? Don't we need our spirits to be edified. Praying in tongues also helps activate the other nine gifts of the Spirit to operate in your life. I've noticed that people who move on in other manifestations of the Holy Spirit, often uh, praying in tongues sort of is the one that sort of helps us open up, helps us become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, helps us to be able to enter into a greater sense of spiritual understanding, where we begin to listen to God, not just through our mind and our understanding, but through our inner person, where we're able to receive impressions from the Lord, senses from the Lord that are 
that bypass the mind sometimes. They're just impressions that I had to do this. They're, they're, they're not coming through a logical thought process, but the Holy Spirit is ministering to them. And so praying in the Spirit can really help, help that. Pastor Jack Hayford, who has a wonderful church in California, has been one of the leaders of the charismatic movement back in the day. He says that being filled with the Spirit is not automatic, though. It's something that you have to open yourself up to. And so how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, we've looked at some examples, and I'm going to give you three here. First of all is just waiting in prayer. Acts 2. It said that they were waiting. They were praying in the upper room. In fact, the original Pentecostals around the turn of the last century with the great outpouring in 1906 in Azusa Street, they really uh, believed in this thing of you got to tarry for the Holy Spirit. Tarry is just the King James Bible for uh, uh, the word for wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit, tarry for the Holy Spirit. And I think it's still a legitimate uh, means that, you know, waiting upon the Lord and praying and waiting for his presence, I think that's still a legitimate way to receive uh, the baptism of the Spirit. Another way, though, and we see this actually is the most common one, and it's the laying on of hands. And we read some examples of that, Acts 8, Acts 19, Acts 9, 17. I think that, yeah, 9, 17 and Acts 19, 6. So whether it was Ananias laying his hands on Paul, whether it's uh, uh, Peter and John coming down to Samaria laying on of hands, or whether we see Paul encountering the uh, believers in Ephesus and laying on of hands and seeing them. Uh, be filled with the Spirit. And so final steps, final steps. Uh, oh, I missed part three. God just pouring out on hungry hearts. Oh, this is really important. This was the Cornelius one. It's like they were believing to the message, and God just said, yep, they're ready. And you know what? There's many times, uh, you know, in our, uh, you know, in, in our Foundations books, we have something called One to One and the, and the Purple Book, and it talks about these verses in the Holy Spirit. I remember many times that when I was discipling people, they would get a chapter ahead and they would start looking all these verses that I'm describing here and others on the Holy Spirit. And I was going to be talking to them next time and I was going to say, Okay, you know, would you like me to pray with you to be baptized in the Spirit, to speak in tongues, and to things like this? And they're going, Oh, I did the Bible study and I already got that. I was just praying one morning. And out it came, and I had an encounter with God. Oh, man, you beat me to it. Uh, so I, I've had that uh, many times. Let me also say, though, just because I think it's important that we also get a context for experience and we don't leave this in the theoretical realm. I remember praying for one uh, lady in our small group back in the day, and she was very self-conscious about that. She saw the scriptures, but when we did lay hands on her pray, I could just tell that like she was just so nervous about this. She was quite, her personality was a little bit more introverted. And I could see the whole idea of just opening up to all of this was like, was a barrier. And so we did pray for her and nothing really happened. And I said, Karen, just go away and keep praying. And, and, and she went away and she came back the next week to small group. After the small group, we said, do you want us to pray again? She said, yep. Nothing happened again. Went away. She prayed. And, and, and then one time she came back and she said, I actually really believe this. I'm ready. We prayed again, and boom, uh, she received the baptism, and she began to be released in her own prayer language. So just a little bit about it happens different ways to different people and at different times. Here's what I want to leave you uh, 
with, though, is just some final steps. First of all, um, the, Bi the Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit um, has been portrayed as a dove. And I heard a message recently that really helped bring some clarification to me. When Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came down upon him at his baptism, it said he came down in the form of a dove. And doves are very sensitive. You can't train a dove. You can't, there's something about a dove that if you offend or put a dove off, they're gone. And it said that when the, whole, the dove came down upon, Holy, uh, upon Jesus, it said the, the dove came down and remained because there was nothing offensive in Jesus that was grieving, in a sense, the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 4.30, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. In this message I was listening to, it said that of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the most sensitive. He doesn't go where he's not welcome, and he's e easily grieved. And so sometimes there can be a blockage in the Holy Spirit because there's something in your life that just has to be made right. I know I was asking for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit recently, and I was just convicted. The Holy Spirit said, you want that? Here's something that you need to, to get right. And it was with a person. I won't, it's personal. I won't tell you who or what the discussion was. But I knew that I had to have that conversation. Holy Spirit was bringing that back, convicting my heart. And that's another thing the Holy Spirit does. He convicts of sin. And, and after that, it was like, okay, okay, I'm ready. And God said, yeah, you're ready. And I think I'm on my way to a fresh infilling uh, of the Spirit. So that's one thing you might realize. And you don't have to hunt for sin in your life. The Holy Spirit's really good at doing this. Okay, and you just have to say, Lord, is there anything that any way, Holy Spirit, that I'm grieving you? And believe me, the Lord will show you and you can make it right. And then finally, ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Uh, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. But one is coming, speaking of Jesus, who's greater than I am, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I want to leave you with this one last scripture. Luke 11, 11 and 12. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I've been asking. As I said, the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't one and done. For some of you say, hey, I had that experience 20 years ago. Well, have you been refilled? Uh, the scripture exhorts us to be not drunk with wine, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like you can't drink enough wine to be drunk for the rest of your life. In the same way, you need constant top-ups of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are saying, hey, I tried. No, um, <laughs> it doesn't work. And so whether this is something you've never had in your life or whether you say, yeah, I've had this, but I've kind of wandered from even desiring this. And let me just say for me, the more we get into this book of Acts, the more I see what God has available for us, there's a growing discontent in my heart for anything else. I just can't go on with church as usual. I can't go on with a church that is missing out on such an important dimension of what God has for us. Um, rather than going into our 
response immediately. Uh, Sheila and I chose another Every Nation song just in conclusion that I want you to just reflect on the words, reflect on the message today and the scriptures. Um, the song is called His Love Overwhelms. And uh, Lee Simon, one of our worship leaders from Manila, uh, sings it. And he talks about his love overwhelming me, overwhelming me. It overwhelms, it overwhelms, it overwhelms. And just as we listen to that song, I'd ask you to remain in an attitude of prayer and say, Lord, overwhelm me with your love and overwhelm me with your spirit. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org. 